Guys, um, tonight we're going to finish with our relationship series that we've been doing, and yes, we had kind of reach week in the middle, so we had a bit of a pause, but just continuing with this, and, and the whole heart behind the series was to have a real practical approach to certain elements of relationship. Um, we looked at, uh, Christian did an incredible job with just conflict, and how do we manage conflict, and actually, can we use conflict to bring us closer in our relationships? Um, we spoke about sex. Why? Because we need to. We need to understand what the Bible says in God's beauty and design for sex is so that when you meet the counterfeit, you can say, no, thank you, I trust my creator. All right, so that's important. Last week, Jonathan did a great job in just saying that can we be a do kind of people where we don't just say, hey, you and I must go and have coffee. Six months later, hey, you and I must go and have coffee. Can we be people who actually do what we say and mean what we say? And be mobilized and really bring the, the, the love that God's called us to have for each other. This community. Guys, believe it or not, if you go off to Burger King, if you, if you go to church off to Burger King, and you're sitting there, the people should say, don't go to Burger King. All right, don't. I realized last time I used McDonald's and some people went to McDonald's afterwards. I get no endorsements whatsoever from any fast food franchise. So go home and eat toast. All right. Um, <laughs> Unless you own a fast food restaurant and you're willing to give me royalties, then we can chat again. Anyway, um, where was I? Fellowship. Oh, if you go, wherever you go, the world is supposed to look at us and say who you are. Who are you? Why are you like this? That the way we love each other is actually a way that we can shine a light to the world around us. All right, so it's so crucial that we, that we don't just... Treat each other as someone who sits on the plastic chair next to me on a Sunday, but someone that is valuable and someone that I want to advance God's kingdom with. All right. Tonight, we're finishing off our series with a very practical element, and it's called something that might be a bit lost in today's culture, um, especially in the cancel culture that we currently see taking over the world. I'm going to talk about something called honor. Say honor. All right. So this is a word that is, that is a beautiful word we... I mean, just looking at the queen that passed away two weeks ago. Now, put away all the, yet again, the mass hysteria on, online with regards to this. But just think of just someone who served in a position for 70 years that didn't just tend to herself, but to people around us. And just looking at the last two weeks, how she was honored in such a beautiful and profound way. Now, however you feel about the, the royals and that kind of setup. I'm still amazed by the way that, that that nation stood still, canceled sporting events to bring honor to this person and their legacy and their lifestyle. And that's moving. That's moving to see uh, when we can honor people like that. But here's the question. Should we only honor people like the queen? I hope not. That's what we're going to unpack tonight, guys, because I believe that one of the greatest things that are missing in our modern-day relationships is honor. The way we honor each other, the way we honor people, the Word of God has called us to honor. 
if you want to see your relationship crumble, whether it's your boyfriend or girlfriend, whether it's a, your, your, your marriage, whether it's your family, whether it's with your parents, your, your workplace environment, if you want to see relationships crumble, start dishonoring the people around you. Honor is so crucial to the existence and function of our relationships. So I'm going to pray. Father God, I thank you that we can be here tonight, that we can look to your word and be expectant for what your word's going to do in our hearts. And I pray, may this, Holy Spirit, may you do what I cannot do. And that is install transformation in our hearts tonight as we want to seek and live a life that pleases you, that brings restoration around us. Jesus, we do this because you're the only one to be worshipped, you're the only one to be praised. This is that we may know you more and live for you more. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. So with the start of Christmas season, which you now know is today, um, <laughs> who's, what's a, what's a channel with all the Christmas movies, like uh, on DSTV, like Hallmark or, um, or the Holiday Channel, right? Okay, so um, now the classic Hollywood story or movie Christmas story time is this person who's moved to the big city comes back to the small town and takes over the guest house and meets this guy and fall in love and it's lights and it's snow and it's Santa and all these things, right? But there's this excitement. This, home, this, this big city person has come home. Hometown hero. And it's, oh, did you see they're back home? Do you see they're here, right? Anyone? Oh, come on, you're all lying to me now. You've all watched a movie like that somewhere in your life. Back from the big city, back from New York, and they're back in this every single movie. And it works. Love it. It's just catchy, right? But there's something unique how these people treat this, oh, this, this, this long-lost daughter or this long-lost son that has returned home. They're back in their hometown. Looking at yesterday's rugby, now, unfortunately, we didn't get what we wanted to do. Obviously, if you didn't watch rugby, it's okay. It's getting harder to watch rugby. Um, as the years go on, um, it, I know he's a lot of rugby friends of mine. Sorry, it's just getting tough. It's the rules and the boring. And anyway, but the Springboks needed to do something special. I like, needed to win with 40 points. And let's face it, we all woke up on Saturday morning expecting and excited. We're going to do this. And the primary reason, or kind of the only reason, is because we are playing on home soil. Like, if we had to play Argentina in Argentina, win with 40 points, sure, that's, that's a stretch. Or if we had to do it somewhere else, it would have been, but we had hope. We're at home, boys. Back your boykies. Right? So South Africa woke up on Saturday morning with massive enthusiasm, and we didn't deliver. But that's a story for another day. But the hometown advantage counts in sports, Right? Like, if you get a home team and an away team, normally stats always show that the home team does better. So I remember a few years ago, I was on a mission to Germany. We were in Berlin, did missionary work there, and then we moved to the north to a city called Dortmund. So Dortmund has a very famous soccer team called Borussia Dortmund. They're the second best team in Germany, and um, yeah, just an incredible place to visit. So we had this ministry opportunity there, but then we had a few off days, so... Um, myself and a friend, we said we're going to do a stadium tour of this soccer team. Um, now, Signal in Duna Park or whatever, 
that's maybe not relevant for this conversation, but now you know the stadium of Dortmund. Um, it's an incredible experience um, doing a stadium tour and just seeing what this looks like. So I remember we get there, and um, they take you now to the locker rooms and stuff, so you go into the home locker room. Now, it's the Dortmund locker room. It's Man, it's kitted. It's got these soft chairs, hair dryers. Um, yeah, it's soccer players, guys. <laughs> you, you know. Yeah, anyway. But it's, it, it's like I'm in a hotel somewhere. It's really great. And then they take you to the visitor's locker room. What a goat track. I mean, it's like wooden benches. There's no electric points in the... In the there's, so when Ronaldo plays there, he cannot do his hair. <laughs> so they just, like, it's low budget. There's no effort. I think they give them stale bread as snacks. It's, it's crazy just to see how the home team is treated and this away team. Then you get to the pitch, and you're walking on the pitch, and, you know, on the side of the pitch, there's another bench, and you go to the Dortmund side. Man, it's like these leather seats, comfortable. They've got seat warmers in there for the people on the bench. Why? Because it gets cold in Germany. Um, it's really proper. And then you go to the away team bench, and it's, it's bleak. It's like wooden benches with nails sticking out, like making it as uncomfortable as possible. But anyway, what's unique about the stadium is they have something called the yellow wall. Please show, me, please show the photo. There we go. All right, so that's called the yellow wall. So that is a, that is a stand where 25,000 fans meet and it's no seating, so you stand. So for the whole game, this whole pavilion stands and does crazy stuff like that. You can show the next picture. All right, so that's home team support in Dortmund. Now you imagine you pitch up there as an away, as away player, and you have to score on that side of the pitch. <laughs> it's incredible. So it's known as the yellow wall, and there's like a... I mean, people fear the yellow wall more than what they actually fear the soccer team. And um, what's very, it's, and it's beautiful. It's whether you're an architect or a doctor or a teacher or a plumber, right there in that moment, you know, 25,000 people, you have your, they actually say they worked out, um, everyone has a space of a, of a newspaper to stand on, like a newspaper A4. That's your space. And you do this the whole game. Doctor, plumber, teacher, all together, all year we go. It's an incredible experience. Actually, the people who did the tour, we were like 70. They had us like jump like this to each other, and we had to kind of re- and it was amazing. Just an incredible experience. And um, can you imagine being a home player? Can you imagine playing for Dortmund, and you see this yellow wall behind you? I mean, you don't need a motivational speech from the coach then. You don't even need talent. <laughs> You've got that. Show the next picture, please. So that's what the yellow wall looks like. For 90 minutes, this crowd just goes and goes and goes. Why? Because they're honoring their team. It's their team. This team is valuable. It's their team. So they've got this high esteem for their players. They've got this high esteem, and like this is their treasured people. It's actually fascinating to see how they do it. I remember growing up in Polokwane, we would come to Pretoria and play sports here. Now, if you play Waterkloof on Waterkloof, they're like 10 times better at Waterkloof. Like, you got a chance in your, at your pitch because you know what you've done to the pitch when you played cricket. Um, but there's something about just being at home, being a hometown player and having support like that. Why? Because people value you. 
I mean, think of that. That girl comes back from New York, back to her hometown, and everyone's so excited that little Julian is back in town. <laughs> Julian, yeah, it's the first name that came up. Judy, let's say Judy. Um, Now, we see that there's this honor for these hometown heroes. There's honor. I mean, can you go in crazy for people and for something like soccer? But there's honor to it. They honor the, the process. They honor the team. Now, we can see this a lot in movies and sports teams, but I think when we look at our modern, our everyday life, isn't it strange how sometimes our home teams, our hometowns, our home places where we find home, and for the purpose of the sermon, when I'm speaking about home time, I'm speaking a place where you are known, where you're rooted, and where you're connected. So your hometown is this church, is your family, is your marriage, is your, is your race, is your workplace. That in modern day life, what we see is that in our home time, sometimes we treat the people closest to us the worst. We do not build yellow walls and throw Christmas market parties no, we sometimes treat the people that are so close to us actually worse than people we don't even know. And this brings me to one of the most, I think, challenging, scariest, and saddest piece of scripture that I'm going to go through is where Jesus was returning back to his hometown. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but grew up in a, in a town called Nazareth. Nazareth wasn't known necessarily for anything, but this is where he grew up. So Jesus is going home. He's ministered. His fame is growing. His reputation is going. In fact, Jesus had just healed a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. Can you just imagine that testimony and that relief that came from that? Just after that, Jesus raises a girl from the dead. So Jesus is doing miracles. His fame is growing. The following is going. And now him and his disciples are on their way back to Nazareth expecting the yellow wall to go crazy. I mean, he's the Messiah. He's just brought someone to life. How profound is that? I mean, think about it. We should be, I mean, Nazareth should have had like stickers. He's one of us. Right? You'd think that. They should like, I mean, Jesus Street, Christ Center. Um, they should name everything after Jesus. Right? Church Square. I'm going to stop there. Let's see what hometown hero Jesus received when he went back to Nazareth. So please read with me in Mark 6, chapter 1. Mark 6, 1 to 7. Um, everything in bold. You know the drill. That's on you. Um, let's read it nice and loud this evening. Okay. So he went away from there and came to his... And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogues. And many who heard him were saying, where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? That was a little trick on my side, by the way. Okay, we're going to read this together. Is not the carpenter... The son of Mary. Want to go again? Struggling? Is this not the carpenter? 
Still getting used to Mac, guys. Still getting used to Mac. All right. Okay. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judah, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they? Say that again. At him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and amongst his relatives and in his own household. Verse 5. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he had laid his hands on a few sick people and they were healed. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villagers teaching. So not necessarily the red carpet treatment that Jesus got. Now, the fact that we only pick up the story in the synagogues. Now, the guys who traveled to be in time for synagogues. So this only means that Jesus probably was in this little town of his for a few days before they even noticed him. The Nazarenes only found out that Jesus was, oh, look, he's here, he's in the synagogue. And think about this. He's just raised a girl from the dead. And they would say, oh, Jesus is in town. Ah, sure, we'll see him on Sunday. Not the red copper treatment. See, Jesus wasn't going home for a family weekend. We can see he took his disciples with him. Why? Because there was purpose to it. There was ministry. He wanted to go and do what he was called to do. But do you see, because of the lack of honor, Jesus couldn't do what he wanted to do. Think about this. The Son of God, the Son of Man, the, the, sent on a mission to heal the sick, cast out demons, bring hope to the people, comes to his hometown, and because of lack of honor and disbelief, Jesus couldn't do mighty things there. That's a scary statement for me. That somehow the way we treat Jesus has an effect on what Jesus can do with us. Now, this doesn't mean Jesus you know, he wanted to. He had his team with us. Guys, come, we're going, we're going back to my hometown. We're going to go minister there. We're going to go and do miracles there. He brought the boys. They were on the way. But he couldn't because he was restricted by lack of honor. And then it's amazing how verse 5 says, he, he marveled because of their unbelief. You see that honor, that dishonor and unbelief go hand in hand. When he was dishonored, he saw that as unbelief. What's also amazing me from the scripture is to see verse 3. said the people were astonished. Say astonished. Amazed. Four short verses later, they took offense. Can you see how being hyped for Jesus can very quickly turn into something different? If you and I do not know who he really is. Can you see you can go from being amazed in Jesus and offended in him in five short questions? Be careful from the kind of questions, friends, that we ask about God and about each other. Asking questions is good, but I want to show you what the Nazarenes did. Number one, they questioned his authority. They said, where did this man get these things? Now, ironically, actually, this was actually Jesus' second trip back to his hometown. So he'd been to Nazareth just prior to this, and they actually tried to kill him. So they tried to kill him and actually chased him out of town. Okay, that was round one. Round two, he said, I'm going to give them another chance. Here I come again. I've got my team with me, and we're going to do miracles. And here you see the verse ends and says, Jesus went among the villages and started to teach. 
Nowhere in Scripture do we ever find that Jesus returns to Nazareth. And what I find amazed by this, that him trying, them trying to kill him wasn't as bad as them dishonoring him because he returned after they tried to kill him. Can you see the impact that dishonor actually has in our relationships with God and maybe with each other? That he says, okay, I know you guys tried to kill me the previous time, but I'm back. But the moment they dishonored him, he never returned. Do you see the impact that honor has in the way we see Jesus and we see God? So the question is authority. And here's the thing, if you struggle with honor, if you struggle to honor people or honor God or honor your parents or honor what, whoever, it's probably because you have an authority problem. And if you have an authority problem, it's because you have a faith problem. I do, not, I do not trust who God says he is, therefore he will not be Lord over my life, therefore I will not live a life that honors him. So I struggle to honor God with my sexuality. It's because I don't really want to have him being the final authority over who I am. It's because I don't really trust him. Do you see how deeply rooted honor is, friends? I can honor someone when I accept the authority that's been placed in their lives over me because I trust, because I have faith. So they questioned his authority. They questioned his ability. They said, how can he do such mighty things? Have you ever asked that of someone? Like, who do you think you are? Who do you think, what did you just do? How do you think you could just do what you did? You know, they're just good intentions. What do you mean you bought me an extra chocolate? It's, it's summer season. Don't you know I'm going to the beach in December? The question is identity. Interesting statement is, is this not the carpenter, Mary's son? Now, in a very patriarchal culture, Children were known by the father. So this is very interesting. You see, what these people are actually alluding to, when you are known as the mother's offspring, you're actually saying that this person is a child of a prostitute. So the question is identity. They didn't even connect him to Joseph, who his father was. This is important for later. Can you see that it's not only a question, they're actually attacking his identity. When you're asking God who he is, are you questioning or attacking his identity? Are you coming to him and saying, God, who are you? I need to see you. Or are you insulting and pretty much tearing down who he is? Then they said, isn't this just a carpenter? The question is divinity. Now, man, he used to make little horses from wood. It's Jesus, the, the wood boy. They just made him common. They took out the God factor. How many times do you and I take out the God factor? Well, I'll do it by myself. Okay, God, no. You're just kind of like the rest of us. Somehow, somewhere, I'm going to have to do this for myself. We take out the God factor. And then number five, they question his uniqueness. They said, no, man, isn't these sisters here among us? Do you know what that is? That is being familiar. It's come to a place where we've become so familiar with God. Oh, it's, it's buddy. And this is where it's so sad that Jesus wanted to do exactly what he was doing in the cities around Nazareth to these people. And we still see this. See, we treat God as just common. The, the big guy upstairs, the man above. 
We don't see him as God the creator. We don't see him as God who says, with a word I created. If I think about your situation, it can change. If you become so familiar and so exposed to who Jesus is in your life that your soul doesn't ever be refreshed anymore. Friends, what a privilege we have to be a Sunday after Sunday and we get here and it's worship and it's prayer and it's fellowship, but this can very quickly just become a mechanic that you get used to every week and you just fill in and it's like, I check in and I check out. Where is the blessedness that we once knew the day we came to salvation, the day you realized, I am a sinner, I need Jesus, I need him to take control over my life because if I will do it, I will destroy myself and the people around me. Therefore, I'm desperate, Jesus. When last have you done something because no one asked you to do it? Just because you love him. Just because he's God. Have we become so familiar? He's my boy. Jesus is my homie. He's not. He's the king. When I read my Bible, when Jesus is coming back, he's not coming back as a baby in a manger. No, he's coming back as a prince with a sword. That will destroy evil. It's just so familiar. Uh, we sing songs and we pray and we just go, go to connect group. It's just so part. It's just familiar. My heart's not in it. It's just kind of what I have to do because I have to keep people happy and keep my conscience clean. Instead of running to a place where, Lord, I'm so desperate for you. See, the danger of this, friends, the danger of living in familiarity towards who Jesus is, is that we will end up dishonoring him. And we, when, when we dishonor Jesus, he cannot do what he wants to do in our midst. And this is why it's a scary reality for me. And the thing is, we roll out the red carpet for so many other things in our lives job opportunities. Man, if Cape Town just comes calling, I'm going. Red carpet treatment, Cape Town, here I come. Or relationships. Oh, Lord, I've been praying and my heart's so sore. I need a new boyfriend or a girlfriend. Please send one. They send one. Boom, you're gone. Red carpet treatment for everything else in our lives that we kind of allow come disrupt my life. But Jesus, no, you don't disrupt my life. You just have to fill in with the rest. Come, join me on stage here on the couch. Jesus doesn't challenge me. No, that's not my Jesus. See, we roll out red carpets for so many stuff in our lives. And we're willing to sacrifice and change who we are for the sake of things. But when Jesus comes along, we say, oh, it's only Jesus. I'll see him on Sunday. See, we can either help or hinder the work of Jesus in the midst of us. Even preaching, guys, even what we do here on a Sunday. Have you become so familiar to just come into church? See, with the atmosphere of expectancy and faith, the most ill-equipped, unelegant preacher can come on stage, fall over his words, fall off the stage, make mistakes, and, and God will move because there's an atmosphere that when we come together, God's going to do something in my life. He's going to shift something open. He's going to commission me. He's going to challenge me. He's going to fill me with faith. That, I, that Man, the preacher can just say, boo, and I'm in. Is that how we approach our gatherings as the church? 
That, that connect group, I, I cannot wait to get there and help and get someone, help me break open this word so that I can become a, a more effective disciple. Because the opposite, if, if, if a preacher stops, walks in here or a minister walks in here and there's this, expect, like this atmosphere of familiarity or dishonor that can be the most spirit-filled, faithful sermon that you'll ever hear and will fall and be dull. That is what you and I carry together. Do you come here and say, Jesus, I'm here for you and I'm excited to see what you're going to do in my life and how this Sunday will impact the rest of my week? Do we just come here because I hope that girl will see me tonight? <laughs> That's not a bad motive. If you want a girl to see you, it's a good place to do it in church. Yeah, yeah. Um. But have we become so familiar that, hallelujah, sing a song, we stand, we look at, we, we stare at the screen as if we're bored, and it's like, oh, it's seven o'clock, all right, that means there's probably, oh, it's Wesley preach, oh, it's Wesley, he's going to probably preach 40 minutes again. Oh, no, no, it's not, it's, have we become so familiar with what we do here that we actually build restrictions? And I'm like, I don't have to ask myself, how many times has God wanted to release a blessing or a gift or a miracle in your life, but he couldn't because of this honor that you brought to the table? Where he says, come on, my boy, come on, my girl, I'm about to release something. Oh, I can't because there's honor on the table, and that reveals that you have a lack of faith. I have to ask myself this question. How many times has God got something for you, but because there's this honor towards him or this honor towards the people that he's placed in your life? He says, I can't. I want to, but I can't. So if you're sitting here right now and say, Where's, I don't want that to happen. I don't want to dishonor Jesus, but quite frankly, I don't know what is honor. Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Do you know what honor is? Craig Grushel has just this incredible definition. He says, honor is placing value on someone because of who they are, not because of what they do or don't do. Honor is placing value on someone because of who they are. Honor is saying someone is priceless to you. Honor is saying this person has value and worth. Honor means that you carry a weight and a burden for this person within yourself. President Cyril Ramaphosa, Ramaphosa, sorry, uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa should be honored for who he is because he has value and worth that was placed on him by Jesus Christ. Be careful, by the way, you moan and groan about load shedding. I'm serious. We are called to honor people. I'm going to get to some specifics now. Your wife, your husband, you're called to honor them. A few years ago, you were praying and asking for this gift, and now God's given to you, now you're complaining about them? Honor, it's got nothing to do with what the person does. See, what is respect? Respect is, I respect your accomplishments, your characteristics, your personality, your achievements. That's what respect is. Honor, on the other hand, is deeming great esteem for who you are. So honor reveals more about you than what it does about the person. When the Bible says, honor your your mother and your father, that's on you. Not only if you've got sucky parents or good parents. It reveals more about you. Steve Murrell, our president of Every Nation International, has the following quote. He says, whether or not I respect a person says something about their life, 
values and character. Whether or not I honor a person says something about my life, my values, and my character. See, when we dishonor someone, we treat them as common. We treat them as just the local wood boy. We treat them as ordinary. It's almost to treat someone shamefully and with humiliation. So now that you know what honor is, now the question you should ask right now is, okay, where's, what difference does honor make in my relationships? If I start honoring, okay, great, I want to honor people. What difference will it make? See, honoring esteems and lifts up. Dishonor devalues and tear down. What were they busy doing? Oh, isn't this Mary's son? They were tearing down Jesus' identity. See, when we bring dishonor into our relationships, you end up tearing down that relationship. To honor someone is to believe the best about them. To dishonor is to believe the worst. If you're working for a boss, are you always just suspicious and skeptical? Or do you believe the best about them? That's what honor takes. Because it's on you, it's not on them. In your relationship... Do you secretly actually expect the worst the whole time from your girlfriend? And then you try and control things. Because if you can leave up to her, she's going to mess it up. Because you've always got this worst case scenario in your mind. Honor lifts up. Dishonor tears down. That's the impact honor will have in your relationship. Many of you will say, well, I can't treat this person with honor because they are not honorable. Honor is given. Respect is earned. I do not wait for someone to be honorable because then no one will be honored, not even you. Honor is given. I give honor to a person for who they are. Set me things of, I think of David. David and Saul said, David was, at six years old, he was prophesied to be king. Imagine that. Imagine you were like six years old and someone said to you, you will become the CEO of King Price. <laughs> or you will become the president of South Africa. Or you will become king of the world. Imagine at the age of six. Can you imagine a little six-year-old running around with that confidence? That could be dangerous, right? <laughs> So David, from a young age, was prophesied, you're going to be king. You're going to be king. Now, how? He doesn't know. He's a little shepherd boy. He's so far from the palace. But the word was there. The prophecy was there. And as David grows up, he, he works for a man called Saul, who was the king of um, Israel in that time, and a terrible person, a terrible leader. So David, time and time again, had opportunity to actually kill Saul while they were alone. And said, hey guys, I, when I looked, the bear, Saul, no more. Or the lion, yeah, there was this lion that just attacked. Multiple times, David had multiple opportunities to kill Saul. But because he honored who Saul was, and he honored who God called Saul to be and put him in place to be, he did not raise a hand until God said, this is not your time. He did not want to act prematurely. How does that relate? Well, where you are in your workplace right now, 
Are you working and trusting on God's timeline or are you doing whatever to make as many gains from yourself so that you can get ahead? David honored Saul even though he was a very bad leader and a very terrible person. See, friends, when you and I honor Jesus and lift him high and make most about him, there's no restrictions. He can move and break through in our lives. What would this community look like if we continually honor Jesus? Is Jesus the main event in your life? Or is it secretly your job? Or that relationship? Or your studies? Or your family? Your culture? Your race? So who should we honor? I'm going to touch on a few pockets of people that the Word of God calls us to honor. You ready for this? Parents, Exodus 20 verse 12, honor your father and your mother. In fact, this this command is actually given with a a promise. It says, honor your, your father and your mother and you will live a long life. It's not honor your father and mother, but where's, hold on, no. If they are, no. That there's a position that God has called them to play and to hold. And we are called to honor that. Now, this isn't just a verse that we, sorry for the youth, if you see this in your house after Sunday, your parents probably heard and making fridge magnets and everything. It's going to come up in your house, so don't worry. But you can tell them what I'm going to say now. This isn't just for teenagers to honor their parents. Whether you're 17, 37, 57, or 77, if you have a mother and a father, you are called to honor them. But ways of being abused, and it's now, guys, this has nothing to do with abuse. If you're being abused, we will help you to get out there, and we need to see, we want to see you free, we want to get you out. But even in that space, even once you're out, that there's a place where in redemption we can look back and I can still honor. I don't have to respect, I don't have to be in relationship, I don't have to agree, but... I can still honor. Because honor's got to do with obedience towards God, not towards the person. So honoring doesn't mean obey. A few years ago, I studied financial management at Tux. In my third year, I had the, the crucial conversation with my parents that I don't think I will be continuing on my financial path. I think I'm going to be a missionary in Africa. Interesting conversation, to say the least. A year later, I did my honors in tax and had a conversation with them again. <laughs> we had the conversation again, and my parents came out of a good place. They were concerned. They wanted to make sure I'm, I'm not making it. But if I had obeyed them, I would have disobeyed God. God called me. I was called into ministry. Now, whoever, I cannot obey this. And thank God I have parents who understood and actually supported. And God, it took a while. And my, my decision, I want to honor my parents by completing my studies and finishing my, my honors. Knowing fully well that having an honors degree is going to be more difficult to go into ministry because now the paycheck looks a bit bigger because of that degree. But I wanted to honor them with that. But that didn't mean I have to obey them. But you know, I called to honor our parents. Number two. Oh, just how do I do that, Wes? Number one, you forgive the bad. Friends, don't hold grudges. Forgive the bad. We celebrate the good and we serve God. That's how you honor your parents. 
That's how you honor. I want to actually say any person who's maybe who you're struggling with and feel like, but you are, you're the enemy. No, you're not. We forgive the bad. We remember the good. We celebrate the good. And we serve God. We seek God. Number two, spouse. Honor your spouse. Now we see this in a few places in Scripture where we are called to honor our spouses. Your husband and your wife. Now if you're not married, I'm getting to you right now. So you're just hanging tight. Got a surprise for you tonight. Hey, no. <laughs> Honor is so important when it comes to our spices. Anshin <laughs> <laughs> is the spice of my life, guys. Come on. Thank you. Someone's just woken up and said, hey, why are we laughing? Like... I'll try not to make eye contact with you in the next two minutes. All right. Honor is so important when it comes to our spouses. So something that I, that I say at weddings is um, I remind the people standing in front of me, saying, do you realize that the biggest gift that God has for you, apart from Jesus and your salvation, he's standing right next to you today. For your purpose, for your mission, for your sanctification, and for your holiness, and for your purity. And what do newlyweds do? They say, we know, Wes, we know. I mean, look at her. Look at him. And they're like, oh, yes, such a gift from God. I've married a lot of you. I know what you, I know your response. But somehow, in our marriage life, as it just continues, this kind of weans away. And the person who was once the gift is becoming the curse, that we, that, we, that we become blinded. Not so with us. I'm called to honor, to esteem this person as the greatest gift after Jesus that I have in my life. If you're not married, it doesn't mean you're lacking. You've still got the greatest gift ever. But not with us. In fact, Romans 12 so if you're married yet tonight, and if you're in a relationship, here's a 30-day Every Nation Willows relationship challenge. Romans 12, verse 10 says, Outdo one another by the way you show each other honor. Now, who wants some healthy competition, spousal competition? Married couples? Yes. So this is a better competition to have than who can wash the dishes the best. Who makes the best financial decisions? Here's a great competition that you guys can try for the rest of your life to see who's better. That is how important honor is, friends. For the rest of your life, outdo one another. Now, this is applicable for our marriages, but for us as well in general. But if you bring this element into your marriage, you will see your marriage blessed like never before. Instead of saying, how can we tear each other down? No, how can we out-encourage one another? How can we out-cherish each other? How can we out do one another in the way we show value to each other. Do that for 30 days and see what happens to your relationships. Dating relationships. If you're dating, if you want to date friends, the culture of dishonor currently in relationships around the world and what media shows is so scary. Why? Because the modern norm for dating is you get what you want. If you want sex, you take it. If you're not, you can find it somewhere else. C. 
See, for us to understand how do we honor each other, see, you can date with dishonor or you can date with honor. Are you still valuing this person that you're dating and figuring out and walking the road with to see, okay, where are we going? Are you honoring them? Are you honoring for who the person they are and not necessarily what they do or don't do? Therefore, it's important that we understand, friends, the difference between preferences and priorities with dating. You can go listen to last year's podcast on a relationship series. We spoke on what is the difference between preferences and priorities. It's important that you know what are the foundational things you need to base your relationship on. Making out is not a good foundation to base your dating relationship on. Ask questions like, will this person expand or grow or nurture what God has called me to do? Will my life be better with this person in it or not? See, asking these questions, not if they're hot enough or if they have enough followers on Instagram or if they do it for me or whatever. Now I'm asking the right questions so that I can honor appropriately. I want to quickly touch on something. Breakups. Okay. Breakups 101. You ready? See, <laughs> so friends, the privilege we have in a Christian community is there's a lot of engagement with the opposite sex. Look around you. Okay. There's a lot of engagement opportunity. We've got church camps. Yeah. <laughs> We've got missions. <laughs> there's a lot of, we serve together. So what that means, there's a lot of potential for falling in love and dating someone. But, guys, a dating relationship ends in two ways. There's no third way. You either get married or you don't. So the result of dating is marriage or not marriage. It's not the goal of dating. The goal of dating is finding someone who's, who's walking with you and pursuing Christ-likeness with you. And he's championing you towards that. That is the goal. Because that is the goal of marriage. Is how am I walking alongside someone that is making me more like Jesus? So that just takes the pressure off. It's not wondering if I should get married to this person after the first coffee. You won't know. You can't. Everyone's on their best behavior after the first coffee. <laughs> so when you go for a coffee... Take down the expectation level. Just can we build just with no pretense, just see value in people and say, I want to get to know you. No strings attached. But we, the way we break up with someone, so it's good that we talk about how to date, but I've realized it's good that we chat about how to break up. Because, hey, you will go through a breakup in your life. Okay, believe it or not. Okay, so this is kind of preparing you for that. How to break up with honor. Number one, you clear. You're not hiding things, you clear. So you name and you say, this is the reason why I believe we cannot be together anymore. It's not beating you on the bush. How do you know you're communicating clearly? You see how the person responds and you ask them, what did you hear me say? That's how you know. It's not because you practiced it seven times and wrote it down and made a note on your phone and you read it. Dear Jane, we have come to the end of our mutual commitment 
That is not clear communication. Just because it makes sense in your mind doesn't mean it makes sense in the other person's mind. So you're clear. Number two, you do not tear down the person. You do not tear down the person. Even if there were mistakes made, you do not tear, you do not devalue or dishonor the person. Were you perfect? All I know, you're breaking up. Okay, so after being clear, you don't tear down the person. Number three, you celebrate the good. You celebrate what you can celebrate. You celebrate how this element or how when we, this happened, there was actually a turn towards becoming more like Jesus. So we celebrate growth, and you are thankful for it. In one of my previous relationships, I needed to learn something about my own self-worth that if I didn't learn it in that relationship, I probably would have botched the next one. If there was something I can celebrate and say, this relationship was successful because I learned something. I became more like Jesus. So number three, you celebrate the growth. Number four, you apologize where you need to. You say sorry and you take ownership. Now saying sorry, we missed out to say sorry three weeks ago, Christian, Great, six steps of apologies. You can go and listen to that and write it down and almost like make a note of it and keep it with you wherever you go. So you apologize where you need to. And number five, you step away. After a breakup, you step away. There's no, I'm not saying forever. I'm not saying ignore each other. I'm not saying move churches and cities and continents. There's just a step away. Now you give space. Okay. So I hope you wrote that down. Number three. Government and workplace. First Peter says, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. But where's... No, honor the emperor. But where's corruption? Honor the emperor. Because honor reveals something about you and I, not necessarily the person who's receiving it. So if you're in a team, you honor your coach. If you're in school, you honor your teachers. You better honor your teachers, your lecturers. If you're at a workplace and you're working for someone, you honor your boss. Yeah, but Wes, I'll be a way better boss. You know, maybe you will be. But not now. <laughs> the best... The best... Ele- the best lesson you can learn of authority is first being under authority. And millennials, just because you're not happy two weeks into this dream job that you prayed for, doesn't mean you leave. You have to learn things and work through things and gain collateral and flex your muscles so that one day when you're on this side of the conversation, you can't just tell people, I just left. You don't just bump around looking for a culture. No, this, I know this culture clashes with me. Well, then change it. No, the boss is mean. Guys, most bosses are mean. They have to. <laughs> They're not there to be your friend. No, that doesn't give you an excuse to be mean. I'm going to get to the bosses now. If you want to see, if you're, if, if you're a boss currently, if, you, if people work for you, if you want to see an incredible culture, and get this, that if you're, if someone, if you're someone who employs people and people work under you, your greatest testament of Jesus Christ is the way you honor those who work for you. 
They will look at your, at your Instagram page and see quotes of Jesus. They will look at your, maybe you're even in the band or you're on, on in front of book table or whatever. But the way you honor them at work will be the greatest testimony you have. So if you want to build a, conor, a, ultra, a culture of honor, you give honor first. You honor those that work with you. You honor your peers. And then you will see honor return to you. Number four, church leadership. 1 Timothy 5 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered of wor- worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, this isn't the weird worship of pastor syndrome. There's one person we worship, and his name is Jesus, and that will never change. He is the main event. He is the main attraction. He's the reason why we exist. But honoring our leaders is biblical. That's why I can stand here even as an elder and a preacher today and hold the word to you because the word is looking straight back at me as well and saying, I want to honor those who God's placed over me, who labor over me. It's biblical. I had a friend who leads a, who leads a congregation and they were away. I can't remember, was it, I can't remember where they were. And on this, on this uh, trip or camp or whatever, someone in his, I mean, he leads the congregation. Someone pulled down his pants in front of everyone. Shocking display of dishonor. Now, as a church, every nation, we have a very relational culture. I don't believe leadership, a church leader should be that you come in with your black SUV, with your bodyguards and your Rolex and your very fresh guys in tight shirts accompanying you to the stage, and then you leave again and you get onto whatever. But let's not abuse the relational culture that we have with the leaders that are around us, the blessings that God has placed in our lives. I'm thankful we have a relational culture where we, we encourage people to get close to each other. So whether it's your department leader, whether it's your connect group leader, whether it's one of our elders or one of our staff, can we honor one another and not become so familiar? Abram's a student. I met him when he was 18 years old. I would be missing out on something that when Abram gets on stage and I think, ach, it's only Abram the student, I can quickly check the soccer score. That's massive dishonor. I humble myself and say, Abram is standing right now and he is representing God in a way that I need to pay attention and bring honor to that. I'm thankful, guys, that we've got this culture in our church and I'm thankful as leaders, when we say, let's go, then we say, okay, we're going. And that, guys, that brings so encouragement to us as leaders. That when we say, guys, we're going to try this, let's, let's go for this. And you guys say, yes, where's we behind you? Man, that's just, that's one of the greatest feelings ever. So thank you for that. But let's continue building this culture. And in the last group of people, we are called to honor. It's everyone. You will never look into the eyes of someone who doesn't matter to Jesus. The petrol attendant, the waiter, the cleaner, your friends, your classmates, the least of these, the beggars on the street. How do you treat them? With honor? Are you lifting them up or are you tearing them down like everyone else in their lives? Friends, ultimately we are called to honor God. That's in our mission statement, right? 